0: Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. If you have a Bible we're gonna read from Mark chapter 4 verse 26 through 29 this has been our 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 foundational verse over the past few weeks and I want to jump into it yet again today and dig a little deeper into the way in which God wants to grow us so if you're here at church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful Sunday morning by the way you could be you could be out on the lake uh, you could be uh, (laughs) you could be doing getting ready for some barbecue uh, but you decided to come to church, and so I'm glad, I'm glad that you are prioritizing your spiritual growth because that's what you're doing. When you're, when you're deciding to come with the body of Christ and gather together, you're saying that my spiritual growth is important, and I'm prioritizing that. And so what, I, what, I've, been, what I've been preaching about this past few weeks is how God wants to grow us spiritually. So that you can be more equipped, so you can lean into it, so you can actually get something out of it. So in Mark 4, Jesus gives this parable. He says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should, um, should seed on the ground. Huh. <laughs> I think should sow seed on the ground. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know what, what version is this. We're trying something new. Is this King James? New King James? it's not the message right please tell me it's not the passion please tell me uh anyway yeah so we're, we're, we're new and new where a new thing where the tech the tech booth is putting together the the scripture slides for us so that it can show up on the bottom of the screen for those watching from home so instead of them having to try to just listen to what i'm saying they can actually read along that's that's, that's what the deal is so yeah so we need that so it's progress man moving forward that's what we're talking about getting better and it just automatically changed. That's awesome. So, um, is this man should sow seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow? He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops, let's say it together, by itself. Yeah, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain uh, ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So we're talking about how the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God grows by itself. How you and I are not responsible for the product, for the growth. We're responsible for sowing the seed into the soil. But we're not responsible for the, God does the growth. And God's going to do growth in your life, and I believe it. I believe that's a promise of God, that if we will sow the seed of the Word of God in the soil of our heart, that God will cause it to grow. And so no matter where you are or how far away from God you feel, God can cause something to grow in your heart and so the question is how how does that happen well it happens through this all-by-itself principle or this organic life principle so we've been examining those principles and last week i talked about a principle called energy transfer this is true of all living things all living things experience energy transfer and it's a way in which god has shown us through nature that he naturally Grows things, And your faith is a natural, it's a living thing, and God's going to grow it naturally. It's going to grow through energy transfer. So the definition for energy transfer is twofold. One, I touched on last week, which is the harnessing of energy. In other words, natural things, uh, they encounter natural uh, energy all around them. And what natural things will do is they will take that energy from what they're encountering and they will use it for their growth. So I love how last week after my sermon, I think it was Jan who posted a picture of that weed growing through the cement. Uh, What happens, how does that happen? Well, it's not because the environment is perfect, but it's because this living thing decided it was going to use whatever resources it had in front of it. And it took energy from the difficulty that it faced, from the storms, from the sun, from the rain, from the dog that pooped on it. It took energy from all of that stuff and it turned it into growth. It turned it into progress. And so I believe that no matter what you're facing, there's some good in it for you. God has some good in it for you that you can extract from that and you can grow through that. And that's one part of energy transfer. But honestly, I only got that half of energy transfer last week. Uh, The other definition of energy transfer is how energy is transferred from one living thing to another. That's, that's the other definition, that energy is transferred from one living thing to another. And so I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, you can't just move on. You have to dig into energy transfer. It's not just about getting, gaining or harnessing energy from the difficulties in life. It is also how God will grow your faith by by transferring energy from one living thing to another. So so if you're a living thing today, could you just raise your hand? If you have any living things in the room today, just go ahead and keep your hands up if, if you're a living thing. Okay, good. So the definition then of, of energy transfer is how God will take energy from one living thing and transfer it to another. So this is energy transfer, that God will take the anointing from one living thing and translate it to another. God will take the wisdom from one living thing and translate <laughs> it. That's you, baby. That's you. <laughs> <laughs> That's energy transfer. You can put your hands down if you want. Because these living, we have the, all these living things, and the way that God grows your faith is by transferring energy from one living thing sitting next to you or maybe sitting behind you or maybe across from you. Maybe that This is why every Sunday we have you go shake hands and, and hug people because the, what, the energy God wants to transfer to you today might not be from the person who's sitting next to you. It might be from somebody you haven't met yet who's back there in the back corner. MJ back there going, transfer energy to you. How's it going? <laughs> because you don't know how God's going, to, what living thing God's going to use. So you need to connect with the living things that are around you because God wants to transfer energy to you from living things. Oh, and by the way, God wants to transfer energy through you to living things. So I want to talk to you today about energy transfer, and I want to give you a cool little graph Okay, this is, a, this is a scientific graph called the energy pyramid. All right, as I, as I started Googling energy transfer in nature and listening to a bunch of YouTube videos, I came across a lot of guys talk about the energy pyramid. Now, maybe you got this in fifth grade or sixth grade, I don't know, but this is a refresher course for you. This is how energy flows through nature. So you have at the bottom of the pyramid, the largest portion of the pyramid, by the way, these are plants, and these are known as primary producers of energy. You guys see the plants? You got, you, got, you got primary producers. And this is grass. These are plants, weeds, trees, all that kind of stuff. Those are primary producers of energy. Then above them, you have primary consumers. So these are the ones that eat the plants. They get energy from the plants. By the way, it's interesting to note that, that, these, that, that the amount of energy produced down here actually only about 10% of that energy is consumed up here. So basically, and that's true at each level. Scientifically, they measure about 10%, which means each level tithes, (laughs) come on, somebody, 10% of what it's got to the next level. So they, they, they pass it on. And, I, and, I, and, and, and and personally, I just love how God creates pyramids. You see, just even the way the arrows flow. How when God creates a pyramid, it goes from the bottom to the top. Now, when human structures create pyramids, it goes from the top to the bottom. It trickles down. So the top 1% and then everybody else gets a little something else. But when God creates pyramids, he said, whoever wants to be greatest among you, let him get down to the lowest portion because that's where the energy flows. It flows from the bottom to the top. I love that. So anyway, you have have the energy transfer, you have the primary producers, and then you have primary consumers, secondary consumers, and then consumers. There you go. Basically, you have the apex, like you have the real predators up top. Those guys eat these guys who eat those guys who eat from that. And so as I was studying that, And this is the way energy transfer works. It transfers from one living thing to another living thing and to another living thing. And uh, and I was listening to a YouTube guy, and he was talking about uh, that that lowest level, right? The the primary producers. All of these guys are all consumers, except for the primary producers. And these producers, he said, these plants, he said, they're the only, they're, they're called producers because they're the only ones that produce energy all by themselves, and I was like, wait a minute, I've heard that all by itself before. I, I remember Mark chapter 4, Jesus compared my faith in the kingdom of God, not to rabbits. And even though we talked about rabbits when we talked about multiplication, right? He didn't, he didn't, he didn't compare my faith to uh, clownfish, which we talked about clownfish when we talked about interdependence. Or sea anemones, when we talked about interdependence. But when Jesus wanted to describe the kingdom of God, he described it as a plant. And the plants. now the people at his day, they didn't understand the energy pyramid. But yet Jesus knew the way energy flowed through nature. And so when he described the kingdom of God, he described it as a plant. Because the plant is the primary producer. It's the only living thing on the planet that produces energy by itself everything else eats plants or eats things that eat plants including you and I Uh, you you can go ahead and keep the the, the pyramid I mean that's so awesome I don't know why we'd ever want to get rid of the cool eagle picture up there I mean that's freedom Uh, but every, every other living thing they eat things that eat plants. Plants are the only thing that produce energy all by themselves. But remember, there is no new energy in the universe. It's only recycled energy. So where do the plants get the energy that they produce? From the sun. So basically, and I'm not smart enough to really understand all of this, but from the rays of the sun, the, the plants bond carbon within those rays with stuff that's inside of them. And it literally produces it produces organic matter from sunlight it's crazy it's called photosynthesis and it produces organic matter they grow because of what they receive from the from the power above them working with the resources inside of them they grow all by themselves and they're the only living things that do that the rest of us living things rely on them this is, why there is, this is why it's called a pyramid. This is why they're at the bottom because there's much more plants than there is anything else. You know, look outside. There's a lot more blades of grass than there are squirrels right, and so what happens is God has this, this thing set up, this energy transfer, and then he goes into this pyramid that he designed, and he says, okay, if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, it's not like this up here, it's not like that, it's this down here, it's this bit down here, this bit that everybody tramples on, this bit that everybody takes for granted of, you know, for granted, they, 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 pave paradise and put up a parking lot like that's why it's not good when you're when when you when you eliminate too much of nature because what happens is this this thing this down here this this primary producer is the only thing that is producing energy for the rest of us and that's what jesus says the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of god in other words the church is the only institution that just lives for others It's the only institution that produces energy, that produces faith, that produces hope, that produces anything. All other institutions are feeding off of other institutions. All other organizations are feeding off of other organizations. But the church, the kingdom of God, the the, the family of God is the only thing that is truly producing things in the world. That got me thinking, well, wait a minute. Do we know that we are primary producers? If I think about the folks at City Chapel, are they aware? Because I think oftentimes we think a lot like consumers. In fact, we even go to church saying, I need to see what God has for me. And I'm going to get something from church, and I'm going to get something from the preaching. I'm going to get something from worship. I'm going to consume something. We often think of ourselves as consumers, not as producers. And so that's why, even in our prayers, we ask God to give us stuff. Because that's what rabbits need. They need somebody to give them some carrots. I think. I think that's what the, I don't know. That's, that's, that's what Bugs Bunny ate. I mean, that's all I know. Like, so it's like, you know, they, they, they need something to be provided for them. But Jesus said the kingdom of heaven isn't like rabbits. It's not like these other consumers. The kingdom of heaven produces all by itself. It produces for other people to take. It produces for other organizations to take. It gives for other people to take. And so my 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 message today is simply that you are a producer. God wants you, the way that He's going to grow your faith is by, by empowering you to produce something. Produce energy. What I mean by energy? Energy would be the, the, the power of God or the, the energy of God in the world. So just a couple of scriptures for you uh, to, to, to help you with this. I think it was, um, let, me, let me see, let me look at my notes. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. The, the actual Bible, Jesus, Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount he, in, the, in, 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 the, in the New King James. He says, you are the light of the world. The city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a, a basket, but instead they put it on a lampstand and it gives light into all that are in the house. He says, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. But I kind of like what the message, how the message puts it. He said, here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world, because that's what light does, right? Technically, light doesn't reveal anything. Light is reflected off of all of these objects. And the way in which it's reflected is, is, the, is, the, is the color that your eye picks up on. So technically, nothing has color in and of itself until light is shine, shining on it. So that's a philosophical question. But, but this is what he says. he says. He says, you are the light. You are that thing that reflects off of everything that God has made and brings out the colors and brings out the trueness of it and the reality of it. You are that light. That, that the kingdom of heaven, the people of God, are the light of the world. They bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. He says, if I make you light bearers, don't, you, don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on the hilltop on that light stand, I want you to shine. And this is why he says, I want you to keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. Who is a generous father. And even like this is true not just in, in our everyday life, but even in our struggles and our difficulties. Right? Uh, the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 3 through 5 says, Praise be to God, the Father and Lord, uh, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Yes, yes. He's the Father of compassion who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can be comfortable. Oh no, sorry, that's, that's not, it's not, it's not what it says. Oh, sorry, I was just, I got carried away. I was gonna about to take up an offering. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can make it through another day. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can worship him. Who comforts us in all of our troubles so that, we can, so that we can get that Maverick song and really sing it from our heart. No, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Whoa, so God himself gives us energy so that we can pass energy on to others. Wait a minute, I thought he gave it to me because he just liked me. I thought he gave it to me because he wanted me to feel good. Well, yeah, that's all true. He wants you to receive it, but once you receive it, he wants you to give it. And so this is is the further explanation. I think it's in verse 5 where he says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. So he's saying, look, the same way that Jesus suffered... Right. And then we identify with his sufferings and then his sufferings through his sufferings. We were brought comfort and peace and salvation and healing in the same way we're going to suffer. And as God comforts us and raises us up from the dead, our resurrection is going to bring comfort and peace and healing and salvation to somebody else. He says, don't you understand, the energy transferred from the very bottom, which is Jesus, the greatest servant of all, the suffering servant, we receive from him. And in the same way, we don't just keep it and hoard it. We pass it on to somebody else. And you don't have less when you pass on to somebody else. It doesn't subtract from you because you're a producer, because you're a producer, right? Like sometimes I, 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 I feel like it's like, it's, it's like we, we, we get into a hoarding mentality, right? And so, but, 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 but imagine if you, if, if you were a producer of iPhones. Imagine if you had your own iPhone factory and you're pumping out 30 iPhones every day and somebody comes to you and says that they need, they need an iPhone. Well, you would say, oh, okay, well, here you go. Here's a phone because I got a whole factory, But when we live on a spirit of poverty, when we don't understand that we are producers, we think we're consumers, that means we need to save whatever we got and hold on to it. We can't pass it along. We can't give it up. This is the only iPhone I got. And if you need an iPhone, I suggest you go to Verizon and get one. Because I got mine. You need to figure out you. (laughs) I'm sorry, because if I give you mine, then I won't have one. It's called boundaries. That's what I'm talking about. It's called boundaries. You need some good boundaries when you're a consumer. And when it comes to iPhones, I'm a consumer. I'm not a producer. I don't know how to make this. I can't produce this. Oh, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, I am producing something. What am I producing? I'm producing the fruit of the Spirit. And Galatians gives us, and I think we have this scripture, Galatians gives us the fruit of the Spirit that we we're producing. This is what we're producing. Number one, we're producing love. You're called to be a producer of love. You are a producer of love. If you're a part of the kingdom of God, you are a, make, a producer, somebody who produces love. And you say, well, there's not much love in my marriage. Well, produce it. You're not a finder of love. You're not a scavenger of love. You're not a consumer of love. You're not just a receiver of love. You are also a producer of love. So there's not much love in my workplace. A lot of, a lot of angry people produce it. Why? That's why God put you there. Chances are that's why he put the grass. That's why he covered this whole area with grass so that it would produce what wasn't there without it. Grass isn't walking around looking for something; it's not wanting to be fed all the time. I mean, can you imagine? Can you you imagine if 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 the grass was a consumer? Let your dog out to pee in the backyard, and comes back with three legs instead of four. (laughs) And yet, man, so many churches are carnivorous yards because we're hungry for something that we can't produce. And we're taking it from people and we're biting legs off and arms off and no wonder people have been so wounded by the church they were not wounded by the kingdom of god because the kingdom of god produces it gives and it gives and it gives and after it's given more it gives more this is the kingdom of god that we live to give the entire purpose of the of the lower level living uh, is, is to produce The entire purpose, like after grass and trees have produced oxygen and and, and moisture into the air, they have done their purpose. They're producing. So we produce love. And that's our purpose. And once we have produced it, once we have passed it on, once we have shared it, we celebrate that. We say, yeah. And we go get more love from our Heavenly Father and we produce it, and we go get more from our Heavenly Father, and the power above us works with the power inside of us, and we produce more. We produce joy. We are producers of joy, not finders, not scavengers of joy. We are producers of joy. You say, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty miserable workplace that I live in. There's no joy. No one's smiling. Produce it. By the way, all the fruit of the Spirit is all transferable. You get around somebody who's joyful, and then you get more joyful. You get around somebody who's, who's encouraged, you get more encouraged. You get around somebody who's smiling, you start smiling. All of these fruit of the Spirit are all transferable. They're all catchy. They're all contagious. So if there's no joy in your home, be joyful. <laughs> Don't go complain to your husband about how there's no joy in you. There's no joy. Well, <laughs> the complaining is part of the no joy. Like, that's exactly lack of joy. <laughs> it's not just wives it's husbands too and it's not just our parents will complain to children you're making it so 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 joyless around here wow and that's that's not helpful no you produce joy if God wanted you to go into a place where there already was joy he wouldn't have placed you there you're a producer so you produce it you grow it you produce joy you share joy peace man we are to produce peace man if I see one more Christian posting on Facebook how they're protecting their peace I'm going to pull my hair out well you're not made to protect it you're made to produce it now, if you lost your connection with the Son and you forgot how to produce it, then I understand why you're so protective of it. But if you have freely received, suddenly you can freely give. And Jesus said, my peace I give to you because i got enough of it to share with people around me. I'm not on the edge. I'm not on the edge of despair and, and unrest and anxiety. No, I have so much peace from my Father. I can produce it and share it with you. I don't have to guard it and protect it. I don't have to be, be careful that nobody steals it and only be around certain people that'll help it grow. <laughs> it's my precious. No, man. It's, a... <laughs> it's not just one piece. Like, like I'm, a, I'm a peace factory. I'm making it over here. I'm producing it. I don't need you to give it to me. I'm receiving from my heavenly father and I'm producing it. I can give to you. I can pass it on to you. You can get around me. I got so much peace that I can pass it over to you. And it doesn't detract from me. People say, Pastor, I'm so sorry to bother you. It's not, stop apologizing. I'm a factory. I'm just like, apple trees aren't mad when you go up and take an apple from them. They're not like, "Oh no, I'm one less apple now. What am I gonna do? I grew that thing, man. I'll grow another. It's fine. But we we, we have a poverty mindset. Scarcity, yeah. It's like my parents when I was growing up, they used to tell me when I wanted something that we couldn't afford, money doesn't grow on trees. Because the idea was if we had a money tree, we would have an endless supply of money, therefore we could buy whatever we wanted. And I'm telling you, money doesn't grow on trees. It grows in 401ks. (laughs) Think about it. Think about it. It, it, it grows, it, it, and, and, and if that's true of money, just think what peace, peace doesn't grow on trees, but peace grows inside of me. And if I had a tree that grew peace 24-7, would I be so scared that I was going to lose it if I hung out with so-and-so or if I spoke to so-and-so or if I went to that church because so-and-so looked at me kind of funny and so I was afraid I was about to lose my peace? No, I just go home. I got a whole tree. I'm just growing peace. In my time with God, I'm growing peace. In my time with the Holy Spirit, I'm producing peace. And I go into my prayer closet empty and I come out full. And I got all this peace. I go into my car, commuting from my house to my work. I go in empty and I show up work full. Because I produce it. I don't have to find it. don't have to borrow it from you or from the pastor or from so-and-so. I can just produce it in my own spirit. Producing love, joy, peace, forbearance. That means long-suffering. <laughs> that means being able to... St- persistence, being able to continue even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of suffering, even when other people aren't treating me right. I can have a good attitude about this. I can bless those who curse me. I can love those who hate me. I can do good to those who spitefully use me. That's what Jesus said. And, 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 and people listen to that and they're like, how, how could anybody ever do that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. When God's kingdom begins growing inside of you, all by itself, forbearance starts rising up. And you can go through stuff that would have broken other people. You can make it through stuff that would have crushed other people. And it's not to your glory. It's not to your strength. It's because you got a forbearance tree in the backyard of your life. That somewhere in your spirit. When you spend time with God, you have strength to press on through what other people would have given up on. Because you produce it. You produce it. You produce kindness. And you transfer kindness. That is your kind to others. That kindness is reciprocated. reciprocated and that kindness moves along from one person to another. So kindness moves through a family. Kindness moves through a church. By the way, gossip also moves through a church. Judgmentalism also moves through community. It's passed on from its contagious. Just but so is kindness. You're not a victim to the judgmentalism of the people you're talking to. You can take their judgmentalism and hand them kindness. You can pass on kind, you can stop the judgment, you can stop the, the criticism, the critical spirit. And you can say, look, here's, here's some kind words about that person that you're sharing not so kind words about. And you produce kindness. You can, you, you, this, this is why your kids are not a victim to what you were growing up. This is why generational curses can be stopped, because new trees can be planted. And you can train your kids to think differently about things. You can train your kids by producing it within the home. And so you produce kindness, goodness, that is, that is a a a motivation inside that is for that is for good. You produce goodness, you produce faithfulness. You can produce gentleness. That's not my personality, Pastor. I just have a tell it like it is personality. (laughs) That's ridiculous. We all have a bad person. You're all born broken. I was born born with an unloving personality. I was born with a not so joyful personality, right? So you take all the fruit of the Spirit. All goes against my personality because it's no one's personality. This is the kingdom of God that is growing all by itself. And God asks you to take your personality, lay it at the foot of the cross, crucify it with Jesus, and receive the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So that you are not your personality, the way you were born, the way your mom was, or whatever. But you are a new creation, made in the image of God. Producing something new. Bringing something into your environment that wasn't there before. You bring gentleness. Which, which for Texans, means you start talking to yourself gently. Gently. I'm not talking about just other people. You bring gentleness right here. You stop cursing yourself. You stop cutting yourself down. You stop cutting down those around you. You stop cutting down. You you be gentle. What does gentle mean? Gentle means unassuming. Well, I just assumed that you would... Yeah, and that's not gentleness. It means Unassuming. It means believing the best. It means a soft answer. Proverbs says a soft answer turns away wrath. So you're around a bunch of people that aren't gentle. They're, they're rough. Tell like it is because they're right and everybody else is wrong. Well, I just don't know how I can. No, right there you can have a soft answer. That soft answer will affect the anger of somebody else. And by the way, sometimes you've got to start with yourself. you got to give yourself a soft answer because you're mad at yourself. And that soft answer turns away wrath. And now you're not mad at yourself anymore. And when you're not mad at yourself, you can be not mad at the world. You can produce naturally gentleness. And finally, self-control. You can produce self-control. So many people praying for self-control. God's not going to give you what he's asked you to produce. He'll give you the seed, that much self-control. There you go. Now plant it, cultivate it, put ingredients around it that, that that are nutritious for it. Notice the fruit of the Spirit is not hope. I thought that was interesting this week. I was reading the fruit of the Spirit, and I'm like, why isn't hope there? I would think hope is pretty darn important. It's not faith either. Faith isn't in the fruit of the Spirit. (laughs) The fruit of the Spirit is stuff that you can produce. You can't produce hope. Hebrews tells us that this hope we have is an anchor for the soul, even Jesus. So Jesus is our hope. So you don't produce hope, you find it. You find Jesus. And when you find it, you hold on to him. But these are the things that we can produce. You also don't produce faith. Jesus said to each, a measure of faith has been given. So God hands out faith to us. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. So, so if we don't produce faith. That's not on us. That's part of the growth. That as we receive from him, we receive hope, we receive faith, and we receive love. And from there, we start producing. So we do receive self-control from him. Just a little bit. In a seed form. We cultivate that, and that grows. So that we are people who are giving, and I see it's getting a little late. Is it a little warm in here? Yeah, it is. I got some heads nodding. I agree. If we need to, if we could maybe kick on another air, I'm, 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 I'm feeling it. It feels better. It Feels better outside. Yeah, it gets a little breeze and the breeze going on. Um, let me, let me just. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna shift a little bit. I want to look at some scripture, if that's okay. Uh, They don't—they're not going to have it on the screen. Um, Acts chapter nine. um, I'm in the King James version, kind of like the King James version. I was reading this a couple of weeks ago, and this to me just shows what I'm—it—it kind of demonstrates a little bit what I'm talking about. Acts chapter nine. This is, by the way, the first—I believe this is the first major miracle uh, of the apostles that they they raised someone from the dead Uh, the first time in Acts chapter 9. Verse 36, and I'll just read it. Uh, It says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. (laughs) Uh, I think that's the Greek for, 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 for Tabitha. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And that's why, that's why I have it in King James because um, the King James is the only one that, that translates uh, alms deeds. Um, and, 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 and that's important because we don't often talk about that. Alms deeds or alms giving is giving of alms to the poor, meaning giving money to the poor. Uh, I was reading through, and uh, I, if you if you want to look it up, but if it's an old book from like over 100 years ago called the Sacred Tenth, and it's about tithing. And It's a guy who back in the early 1900s kind of put together this research on tithing, starting from sort of extra biblical material. So he looked at pagans uh, thousands of years ago that in within their writings and within their religion we're also giving 10% to their particular deities and it's fascinating how it's kind of cross culture it's not just a jewish thing or a christian thing it's it's also a pagan thing. pagans were also doing this. so it's it's kind of interesting. Then he kind of goes through the Old Testament and looks at different patriarchs and different ones that that were tithing. and then, of course, you have the law of Moses, which where its tithing is codified, where you give ten percent of your income and, and give it to the Lord. and then and then and and, and then he walked through the Apocrypha which if you have a Catholic Bible, you, you have the Apocrypha in it. Protestants don't believe the Apocrypha is inspired by God. Actually, neither neither do the Jews. So the Protestants kind of went with the, the Jews. The Apocrypha, though, is an interesting few books about the intertestamental period. It's the, about the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it's not bad to read. It's not necessarily heresy. There's some kind of sketchy things in there that maybe we don't believe are true, which is why the Jews said we don't think this is inspired by God. But it is a bit of Jewish history, and it'll help you understand the kind of world that Jesus himself was born into. And so as you study the Apocrypha, there's a lot in the Apocrypha about tithing and also about almsgiving. And in fact, within the Apocrypha, it says that you should, you should only give alms to poor who are righteous, poor people who are righteous. And then the New Testament sort of carries that on a little bit, right? Paul says we should do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Um, He also in 2 Timothy says you shouldn't be supporting widows who who aren't really widows. In other words, widows who have children, who have other loved ones who could support them. He also says you shouldn't be supporting widows who aren't a part of the, the church. And so, even within the early church, you see this idea that, yeah, we need to be giving to the poor, but especially the poor who are Christians, who are believers. And um, uh, so within the Apocrypha, though, it's very, it's very much laid out. And in fact, in the Apocrypha, they kind of, which I think is one of the reasons why it's not truly inspired by God. It's just, it's just good history. But it talks about how it's like it, your salvation is kind of tied to your giving. And I'm like, I don't really think that's true. But it is interesting how, how, how even in, within the Apocrypha, they see that, 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 that there's really no such thing as a selfish believer a selfish righteous person doesn't count there's no there's no such thing and i would say there's no such thing as a selfish christian someone who has freely received but is not freely giving that doesn't make any sense you you you, when the kingdom of god is growing all by itself you do you are a primary producer and so you live to give you live to to give to others all right now you can have boundaries keep your one phone don't 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 give that away but you know but 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 have a savings account so that you can actually give right plan on giving and and, and so and so, so so the writer he looks at the apocrypha which I thought was fascinating then he and he talks a lot about alms giving or giving to the poor and i thought man I, I talk about tithing a lot but i don't really talk about giving to the poor very much and yet to the early church this was an incredibly important thing to do tithing to the church but also giving to the poor. And then he looks at the Talmud, which the Talmud is the Jewish uh, sort of commentary on the Old Testament. And, 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 and he says that, that the Hebrews believe that the Talmud was originally uh, a collection of, of kind of oral instruction given by Moses. Moses came down from the mountain with God, with the law, with the 10 commandments, as well as a bunch of other commandments uh, in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he, and, and he gives that to the people well, the people are like, oh, that's wonderful. I see that law, but they got questions, right? Because it's like, well, my, my, my neighbor was practicing archery and his arrow flew over my fence and killed my goat. I want him to give me a new goat. And he says he doesn't have to because it's not in the law. And so they would come to Moses with all of their problems and say, Moses, you're the one who heard from God. What should we do? And Moses was like, well, based on what I heard from God on the law. And he was their judge until Jethro, his father-in-law, came to visit him. He's like, dude, you're way too busy. You don't even have time to write the Old Testament he didn't actually say that, but he said, you're way too busy. He's like, you need to appoint 70 judges who will administer justice for you. And so the the, the Jews say that when he appointed those 70 judges, he gave them an oral reasoning for all of the laws that God had given them. In other words, this is how you should judge in these particular areas. And so then out of that came the Talmud. So by the time Jesus came in to the earth, the Talmud was basically law. The, the Hebrews believed that it wasn't quite inspired, but it nearly was. And so they, if you were, were dragged, drag, drug into court, they would whip out the Talmud to see if you had done what was right. They were basically living by the Talmud. And Jesus even affirms the Talmud one time, which is kind of interesting. He tells the, he tells the Pharisees, he says, he said, you guys tithe off of cumin, which is a, a seasoning, right? And he says, you should do that. He says, but you should also do the greater things, which is mercy and justice. And, and he goes on, and so, but where, where did he get this idea of tithing off of cumin? Oh, it's from the Talmud. The Talmud had instructions, not just about tithing, like giving 10% of your income to God, but also tithing everything. So if you went to the marketplace and you bought 20 strawberries... I don't know if they had strawberries over there. 20 grapes. You bought 20 grapes. They had a lot of grapes over there. And you took it home. The Talmud said that when you walked in the door, you had to count how many grapes you had. And you had to set aside 10% of those grapes, put them in a basket, specifically to bring to church that week to give to the priests. Which I I know in our kind of 21st 21st century Christianity feels a little bit like legalism. Oh, that's just legalism. But I mean, I don't know. There is some just beauty to it, right? Dad comes in the door. They're going to have dessert tonight. The kids are like, all right, cool. We get grapes. This is wonderful. The whole, hold, hold on, Johnny. First, we got this count. How many we got here? We got 20 grapes. So Johnny, take those two grapes. Go put them in the basket for God. I don't know. There's just something beautiful about that. Because me personally, I'm just trying to get people to actually show up to church. <laughs> but it's like, what'd you bring? Where's your basket? All week. All week, man. These these folks were worshiping God every single meal. They weren't just giving thanks for what they were consuming. They were giving thanks for what they were able to give in the the God basket over there. And I love that. And so Roe and I were even talking like, like for us, we have our tithe taken out at the beginning of the month, like electronically. Our kids never see it. We're like, maybe we should just take dollar bills and just like every day, however many dollars a day it is, and just like, here's the God basket. Because there's just something powerful about every single day, in every single meal, in every single aspect of our life, we are worshiping God, prioritizing him because we're made to give. So what happens is I think maybe our kids don't see the amount of money going to God. I don't see like, and so sometimes it's kind of helpful to be like, well, uh, you know, this is what we could have bought you this month if we hadn't given to God, you know, and just kind of, I don't know, like, yeah, we could have done that vacation, but we gave this much to God this year, you know, like we could have bought that car, but we gave this much to God sort of thing, like, like make it real for our kids, not to brag, but to say this is how important God is, and by the way, this is who we are, we are givers, we're not just consumers, we don't just ask God for stuff, Give me stuff. Give me stuff. Give me stuff. God, I just want. I don't want blessing. I'm a giver, and I want my kids to know that. Now I'm not going to stand up and tell you all what I give, but but like, what if what if what if we had a way in our home for that to be common knowledge and be okay? That my parents are givers. I, I remember, man, I was 14. Dad got the biggest promotion he'd ever got in his life. He became night manager over the place where he was. And after, like, after that year, they, my parents sat us down, and they said, I think it was 60% that they had given to the church of their income. I think it was 60, 60. I'm pretty sure. They can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was 60, 60%. They said, this is how much we made, guys, and this is how much we gave to God. And we got a huge tax return because of it, right? This is back in the day when that actually counted towards something, you know. Nowadays, it's not so much. But, but still, it was like, I remember as a 14-year-old kid, like, wow, I'm a giver. I'm not just a receiver. I'm not just a saver. I'm a giver. And I'm here to give to God. And so as I read here about Tabitha, she is full of good works, that's labor, and alms giving, which she did. That means giving money to the poor. So she's full of working and giving money to the poor. And it came to pass in verse 37, in those days that she was sick and died. When they had washed and laid her in the upper chamber, and inasmuch as Lydia was near or nigh to Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there, and they sent unto him, Two men desiring him that he would not delay, but that he would come to them. Now it doesn't say what they were asking of Peter; only that they wanted Peter to come. It seems to me that they could have just been wanting his comfort. They wanted, hey, here's an apostle nearby. This great lady has died. Would you just come do the funeral? Or would you come share a few good words? So Peter does. And when he when he had come, it says that they brought him into the upper chamber where she was. And it says, and all the widows. Huh. So so they hadn't mentioned widows before. But widows are, in, in those days, would have been the poorest of the poor. These would have been the homeless. The widows had nobody to provide for them. So all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. And like the other night, I was just reading that and I just got so stirred in my spirit because like, here's, here's this lady that most of us haven't heard of, Dorcas. She was full of labor and giving financially to the poor. And she dies. She gets sick and dies. Bad things happen to good people. Peter comes to do her funeral. And he can't even do the funeral because there's so many poor people packed into the upper room who are weeping And showing him what she had made for them. What she had purchased. The linen that she had bought. The cotton that she had purchased. And what she had labored for them. For their clothes. And I thought, man, that's what I want my funeral to be. (laughs) A bunch of people sad that I'm gone. And able to show what I did for them while I was here. I know oftentimes we get concerned. We're like, well, I don't want people to be sad. I want them to rejoice because I'm in a better place. Well, I am in a better place, but I want them to be sad that they're in a worse place. (laughs) What was that that one saying that says, uh, when you were born, you cried and everybody rejoiced? Live in such a way so that when you die, you rejoice and everybody else cries. Because when they're weeping because she was a blessing to them. They're weeping because she was giving to them. And they're able to show, not just share some nice thoughtful words of, well, he really liked his Dodge Viper. Uh, You know, but they're able to actually show money that she spent on them. Things that she literally labored for, for them. I got so stirred up. I said, man, now that's a Christian. This whole, he had this hobby, and that hobby, and that was lovely. This whole, we can't be sad, we just need to be rejoiced. Oh, yeah, okay. But here is somebody who spent her life, and after she had spent her life, the people that were around her would testify to the good that she gave while she was living. And they said, hey, check it out. Look, this is what she made me. And this is what she made me when I didn't have anything to wear. And, I, and, I, like, and they started whipping out these garments. And it says that Peter actually has to put them out of the room. And I don't know why. I guess he could. I don't know how many widows there were. Was there five? Was there 50? What's going on? But Peter says he puts them out and then he kneels down and prays. And turning to the body, he says, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and the widows, presented her alive. What a turn of events. And it was known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Isn't it interesting that God will take your greatest pain and even transfer faith from that? Many believed in the Lord after they heard about Tabitha being raised from the dead. She goes through this horrible sickness. She dies, and then God uses that horrible thing to resurrect her in order to bring faith, to transfer faith to other people. And it's interesting, like if you keep reading chapter 10... Right away, he says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of the band called the Italian Band. A devout man, one that you and I probably haven't heard of before, but one that feared God with all of his house and gave much alms to the people or to the poor. And he prayed to God always. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming to him, saying to him, Cornelius. And when he looked on the angel, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, the prayer, thy prayers and thine alms have come up for a memorial before God. What? Can you, can, can you believe that your prayers could be a memorial and your giving? That's great. I was reading that the other night, and I just got so fired up. I'm like, now that, this guy isn't even necessarily a believer. This is Cornelius in Caesarea. He's not, he's, he's a Gentile. And at this point in the book of Acts, the church was not preaching to Gentiles. They were only preaching to Jews because Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. So they didn't feel like salvation was for the Gentiles. And yet here's this Gentile who's over there praying every day and giving to the poor. And God on his wall has a picture of Cornelius. You and I would think it was Pete. That was on his refrigerator. Peter, he just raised somebody from the dead. That didn't go up before the God as a memorial. No, God is up there bragging in heaven about this amazing guy, Cornelius. What is he doing? Praying every day and giving to the poor. Well, this other dude just raised the dead. But all of heaven is fascinated. And, and this one angel was so luckily, lucky to finally go down and get the signature of Cornelius. Hey, hey! Could you, could, you just, could you just sign the inside of my robe? Because I've been, I've been watching replays of that time when, when, when you gave to that homeless guy. I, like, and, I, and, then, and, then, and then, man, I was watching the replay of the time when you hardly had anything and you gave to that person. Like, wow, this is awesome. And Cornelius is like, Peter's right down the road, man. He just raised somebody from the dead. You shouldn't really be talking to him. He's got it going on. Man of faith and power right over there. Literally walked with Jesus. And the angel's like, no, there's this memorial to you in the presence of God. There's a statue or something. What? With all the 24 elders, all the cool stuff they did? Moses is hanging out up there, and we got a a plaque with Cornelius' name on it? What did he do that was so awesome? Oh, he's a giver. Could it be that God sees this energy transformation as so vital, so powerful, so important that he just, he he starts making statues of his great givers? That in heaven, I don't know that, I don't think there's statues, maybe there are. That's the way we memorialize people. You got Rocky down in front of the stadium, right? (laughs) So that's my idea of a memorial, this picture of Cornelius. (laughs) we, we memorialize heroes, fighters, strong people, independent, Bezos, doing his thing, inventors. God memorializes primary producers, givers, sharers, releasers, and he uses Cornelius, actually, this is the rest of the story, but Man, I just, I'm so stirred up by the power that God, that's the importance that God places on giving. So I want to challenge you today to be a producer, to go through your life and produce, to give, to give of what you have received. Now, if you haven't received anything, don't give it. But if you've received forgiveness, give it. If you've received joy, give it. If you've received money, give it. Literal, alms, giving, giving to the poor. Actually taking care of people in need. Because it's a beautiful thing to God. It's a glorious thing and it helps us grow. It's how God wants to grow us. Because you never see, and this is something I was talking to Rocky about this week, I said you never have seen a fat primary producer. A fat plant. No such thing. There are no fat plants. Because whatever they receive, they give. Now there are dead plants that refuse to give what they received. Jesus cursed one of those one time, the, the fig tree. He said, man, you're not producing anything. There are dead plants, and there are dead Christians. But there are no selfish Christians. There's no uh, hoarders. Because we are, by nature, primary producers. Therefore, whatever we receive, we give. And that's how we continue to stay alive. By giving. So, Father, right now, I just pray that you would... That, that City Chapel would be a generous church, generous with our time, generous with our gifts, generous with our forgiveness, generous with our words, generous with our gentleness, generous with the fruit of the Spirit, generous with our money, generous to the poor, but especially those of the household of faith, generous to the kingdom of God, to the church, generous to the work of God on the earth, generous to missionaries, that whatever you've given to us, that it wouldn't just stop with us, but that it would flow through us, and that we would celebrate when we up our tithe, (laughs) because that means that you're upping our income. You're blessing us further, and as we release, we release more, you give more. We'd celebrate every conversation in the middle of the night that It was possibly an inconvenience to us, but was a blessing to somebody else. We celebrate that because as we give more, we know we receive more. As we give wisdom, we receive wisdom. As we give anointing, we receive anointing. As we give patience, we receive patience. As we give the fruit of the Spirit, we produce more of the fruit of the Spirit. But it is dependent on our release. And so, Lord, help us be a releasing church, a generous church a joyful church in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for joining us today. I'm glad that you were with us. And uh, yeah, you guys have a great week. We will see you next week. We'll be here Wednesday night for City Chapel University if you want to join us for a little Bible study. You're dismissed.